1: Hey guys, and welcome to the Moms of Murder podcast, a true crime podcast featuring myself, Mandy, and my dear friend, Melissa. Hi, Melissa. Hi, Mandy. How are you? I'm doing great. Yeah? Where are (laughs) you today, Mandy? I am in upstate New York. Nice. Very far from home, and it is very cold, and I think I looked at my app this morning, and it said that it was doing um, a wintry mix of precipitation, so it's lovely. Rainy, cold, and also a little bit icy. So Ooh. that's different for me.
0: Yeah. I have a sweatshirt laid out later to wear to Ikea in 85 degrees. <laughs> so yeah. I would die where you are.
1: <laughs> yeah. Well, my husband actually talked to me this morning and said that it was kind of cool there. So
0: hopefully I mean, for us, it's coolish. It's sort of insulting to call it cool. Yeah. Whatever. <laughs> it's in the 70s. So
1: well, I am freezing where I yeah. am.
0: So <laughs> you're <laughs> allowed it. to say that. Yeah. Um, okay, so this week we are doing um a little here's the thing. Mandy sorta of tricked me on this one because I didn't trick you <laughs> ish. I don't like scary ish things. And this is not scary. This is would you call this conspiracy ish? I would say that there is a conspiracy element to the story, yes. I literally knew word for word you were going to say that. I don't know if that was deja vu (laughs) or I'm just so used to your shenanigans and trying to justify these things to me. So, yeah. So this is different than something we would normally do, like way different. So Mandy, in my like haste of packing up, I was like, yeah, great. Let's do that. And then I read about it and then I got chills. And so um, that's where we are. But I get chills like, I mean – I get chills over seeing lizards. So it's really, (laughs) there's just like a (laughs) defect in my body. I get chills so often. So,
1: yeah, well, I chose this case because, um, you know, the, this is coming out of course on Tuesday, the day before Halloween. So I thought this would be, I, like Melissa said, I can never really convince her to do anything Halloween Mm -hmm. related. So I did, I guess I did kind of trick her into doing this case. So I can say that we did kind of like a Halloween ish episode.
0: So, uh, here we are. But if you're somebody, um, our friend Alicia is like me, and she hates all scary things, um, and it's not scary, like I am going to talk about it. So if you are scared of scary things, if I can talk about it, you can listen. It's really not going to be bad. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so anyway, with that introduction, Mandy, do you want to get right into it? Sure. Sure. So um,
1: this week's case is about an older story. Um, It's actually from 1945, which I think is about as far back as we've ever gone on our show. But yeah, yeah, so but there was a lot of information about the story. And some of you may have actually heard of this case before. It is fascinating. And as Melissa said, there is a little bit of a conspiracy type of element. So the case we're discussing today is the case of the Sodder children. So we are going to tell you. All about the Sodder children and what happened to them. So, first of all, uh, George Sodder is really where the story starts off. He he was born in Tula, Sardinia, in 1895. Um, he moved to the U.S. in 1908 at the age of 13 and found work in uh, Pennsylvania uh, on the railroads, carrying supplies for workers. He moved to Fayetteville, West Virginia and drove for a trucking company where he hauled coal and freight and eventually came to own the company after a while. So we are going to Google this city out of Fayetteville, West Virginia. Melissa, I assume you have done that. (laughs)
0: <laughs> I have. My favorite part was when Mandy told me it was in Fayetteville, West Virginia. She also added a note that said like super bonus points if you can figure out what was going on in 1945 there. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I could barely find out what's going on there right now. So there's not a whole lot on Fayetteville, West Virginia. The population of Fayetteville, West Virginia as of 2010, so that's going back a ways, was 2,892 people. Um, in 2006, Fayetteville was named one of the top 10 coolest small towns in america by budget travel magazine um and i looked to see like who was number one on that list but budget travel magazine won't even keep that kind of stuff on the internet it's 2006 it's just too far for them they're like we're not not talking about (laughs) that anymore we've moved on and i found out that one of fayetteville's most notable residents was a man named tunny hunsaker tunny was a longtime police chief in fayetteville but he was also a professional boxer. In 1960, he was Cassius Clay's first professional boxing opponent. Mandy, Cassius Clay. You know who Cassius Clay is. Come on, come on, come on. You got it. You got it. You got it. Think no, of the most I don't. famous box boxer. Most fam- I, famous. I don't. I don't know, Melissa. <laughs> Float like a butterfly, sting like a bee. Muhammad okay. Ali. Muhammad Ali. Okay. You got. I knew this would go one of two ways, like this, exactly like this, <laughs> or you would know and then I'd have no joke for this week. So that's all. I've got. That is literally is that all what I have. Is? You just,
1: it's just you making jokes out At of me. At your expense. Me. Yeah. Of course. You're making
0: a joke out of me. I don't like this. <laughs> no, no, no. It's fine. You just have to know very little pop culture and I'll, I'll leave you alone. I did find out this week that you watched um, Girl Next Door, The Girls Next Door. Yeah, which I love the, that. Okay, I love how you're shocked that like, yeah. or you say it in a way like, I should know you watched it. <laughs> I saw you write about it and I'm like, I'm sorry, what? That was like the trashy, trashiest show and like the same level of things I watch now, yet I get judged all the time. So learn learn your boxers, Mandy, and or at least Muhammad <laughs> Ali, and <laughs> we can go on. Okay,
1: back to the story. So George met a woman named Jenny Cipriani at a local store called The Music Box in town in Fayetteville, West Virginia. And Jenny had also been an, uh, an Italian immigrant. She, she moved to the U.S. when she was just three years old. Um, so the couple fell in love and eventually went on to have 10 children. I yes. say that slowly because that is a lot of children. And, and that's it a lot is- of love. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a lot of love. It sure is. <laughs> so so the whole family lived in Fayetteville with a lot of other Italian immigrants. Apparently, this was a very big Italian community that they had um, there. I don't know if it still is. It could be. I guess you didn't find that out when you Googled that city. I did not. (laughs) Okay. So back in 1945, it was a very large, there was a very large Italian community, um, lots of Italian immigrants living in that area. So the family was really um, well-respected in the community. George had um, the business and the business was doing really well. So the whole family was very well-known and George himself was actually very well-known, but... Not always for the best of reasons. Um, A lot of the time he had really strong opinions that he liked to voice on certain things um, like politics. So he especially had very strong opinions on the former Italian dictator, Benito Mussolini. And I did, I took the liberty of researching Mussolini a little bit in case um, some of our listeners don't really know a lot about him and what his whole um, shtick was. So uh, Melissa, Mussolini. Tell us all about him.
0: (laughs) So, you know, we don't get political on our show, so this is going to be very brief. So Mussolini spent his early adulthood traveling Switzerland, which sounds lovely, involving himself with the Socialist Party and getting into trouble with the police. He moved to Austria-Hungary in 1909 and became editor of a socialist newspaper. He was deported back to Italy for violating laws on freedom of the press. He became an editor for another socialist newspaper, but was arrested for inciting violence and jailed for six months at that point. He left the Socialist Party in 1914, started his own newspaper, and encouraged violence from his supporters. Widespread unrest began in Italy at this point. Uh, Mussolini briefly joined the military, but by 1918, he was back at writing papers and calling for a dictator to take over Italy. After the Treaty of Versailles in 1919, Mussolini organized the fascist groups into one giant national Italian fascist group. They encouraged violence against socialists. Mussolini ran in an election as a fascist candidate, but he lost to the Socialist Party. He wanted to overthrow the government and tried to gather weapons. He was then arrested and was released the following day. In 1921, the Italian parliament broke down as the country continued to suffer violence and chaos. At this point, fascists took over and Mussolini became a deputy in parliament. Eventually, Mussolini demanded control of the government or he said he would take it by force. Fascists already took control over smaller local governments. So Mussolini at this point becomes a fascist dictator in Italy from 1925 to 1945. And as I said before, he was buddy-buddy with Adolf Hitler. So, you know. All good things. (laughs) Well, (laughs) yes all good things the opposite of that. That's exactly what it is. So <laughs> so George Sauter
1: really disliked uh, Mussolini. And like I said before, he was very, very outspoken about that. And other Italians in the community did not really agree with him. And they actually were kind of like, you know, you can't really speak out about you know, the leader of our homeland. So they didn't right. appreciate that very much. And um, he, George was actually threatened a lot over his dislike for Mussolini. And we'll actually get into that a little bit more later in the story, because that's kind of one of the important pieces of it. The story actually that we're talking about today takes place tragically on uh, December 24th, 1945. So Christmas Eve. And the oldest son, the oldest solder child was away in the army, but the nine other children were at home with the parents. So Maurice, who was 14, Martha, who was 12, Lewis, who was 10, Jenny, who was 8, and Betty, who was 6, had asked the Solder parents if they would have permission to stay up a little bit later that night. Even though it's Christmas Eve, um, they weren't really ready to go get in bed yet. So Jenny Solder, the mom, said yes, but don't like she wanted them to make sure they locked up the house, turned off the lights, and closed all the curtains, and kind of you know make sure the house was shut down for the night before they went to sleep. The parents and the four other children went off to bed and. And we're, you know, planning on waking up Christmas Day and and spending the day together as a family. Three hours after they went to bed, the phone rang and Jenny walked out of her room and into the hallway to go pick up the phone. And, um... When she answered it, it was a little bit strange. There was a lot of people talking in the background, and she heard a female voice, but she didn't recognize who it was. And the person asked for a name of a person who did not live at the house. So Jenny just said, You know, you have the wrong number. Of course, it's the middle of the night. People, it's Christmas Eve. So, you know, I'm sure people are having parties and having a good time. So, probably wasn't really that strange to her you know, that somebody was calling and had the wrong number. But the thing that was a little weird was that after she had said, you know, this is not the house you're looking for, the woman on the other end did this kind of creepy laugh and then hung up the phone. So that was a little unnerving, and Jenny just went back to bed. But on her way back to bed, she had noticed that the children did not shut off the lights, lock the door, or close the curtains in the house. So she kind of walked around and did all these things before she went back to bed. You know, she went to shut the house down, and she noticed while she was doing all that that her oldest daughter, Marion, was asleep on the couch in the living room. So she, as I said, locked up the house and went back to bed. Around 1 a.m. on December 25th, Jenny woke up again to the sound of a thud on the roof. And then she kind of thought there was something like rolling down the roof. But it was one of those things. She was it was one o'clock in the morning. She was kind of, you know, in and out of sleep. And she just heard this. But then. Doze back off, like didn't really get up and check it out. Um, So but she woke up again about 30 minutes later and realized that the house was actually filled with smoke. And they woke up the children, the youngest children, um, Sylvia, Marion, John and George Jr. to get them out of the house. So now we have the parents and four of the children outside the home, and they are still, of course, missing the other five children that were inside the house. So the five children that they don't have accounted for are the same five children that said they wanted to stay up late that night, and um, you know the rest of the family went to bed without them. George went back into the house. He was going to try to um, go up the stairs and investigate, like where the kids were, and try to get them out of the house as it's literally burning to the ground. Like quite literally, it's going up in flames. It's there's no saving the home at this point. But um, when he gets inside, he realizes that the stairway leading up to the bedroom where Maurice, Martha, Lewis, Jenny, and Betty were sleeping, um, the staircase was completely engulfed in flames. There was no way he was going to get up them. So he went outside and thought, well, I will just go over to um, where I keep my ladder on the side of the house and I will climb the ladder and get in, and get in that way. But for some odd reason, when he went out there, the ladder was not there. And he normally kept it, as I said, on the side of the house, but it just... Wasn't there? Can I Um, ask a
0: question before we go any further? Where? Okay, this house is it just two stories? That's what I was. I couldn't remember if it was two or three. I was getting confused. I think it was just two stories. So the most of the family, the mom, dad, and the young kids were all asleep downstairs, and then the older kids that stayed up were all upstairs. I'm just trying to picture. No, because Marion was downstairs. Yeah,
1: they weren't all. They were no. all around. And okay. I kind of, see, I kind of got the impression that the parents also were upstairs and like yeah, that's The, what the didn't bedrooms make sense. were upstairs. And so that they had kind of gotten out. And then maybe by the time they got out and then they, he went back in in the house, the um, staircase was on fire. I, I wasn't really sure on that, but I kind of got the impression that all of them were supposed to be sleeping upstairs. And of course, they didn't know for sure that the, if the five children had gone to bed or if they were even up there, they're just assuming, you know, they're not downstairs. So they must be upstairs in a bedroom somewhere, but they didn't really know. Cause like I said, they had gone to bed and they didn't know, you know, these other five children had said they were going to stay up late. So really they had no
0: reason, you know, they were assuming they could be they anywhere upstairs. really in the house because right. this is not a normal night of everybody just going to sleep in their rooms. You know, it wasn't a normal, right. their normal schedule, I guess.
1: So after George realized that the ladder was not where he usually kept it, he had another idea, which was to use um, one of the two trucks he had. He um, they were like work trucks and he had two of them parked near his house. And so he thought, well, maybe if I can get the keys and pull you know, one of them up next to the house, I can climb on top of it, use it like a ladder, get inside the wind, you know, in the bedroom window and go get my kids. But again, and there's so much weirdness in this story, but the neither one of the trucks would start, which was very strange because both of them had been started just the day before the fire and they were working just fine. I can just imagine, you know, like where's my, you know, your ladder is missing and now these trucks won't start. And it's like, what else can go wrong? You know, you're just panic stricken, trying to get, um, get to your kids like that are inside of a burning house. And all of these things are just not going in your favor. And um, that's just kind of part of the story that I think is really kind of interesting, like how all of these things, you know, everything was just working against them when they were trying to kind of figure this out. In um, another attempt to get into the house, he thought that he could use um, the rain barrel that they had to climb on top. But that also did not work. Um, the whole rain of course it was Christmas, it was winter, so the whole um all the rain in the rain barrel was frozen and there was absolutely no way he was gonna move that thing anywhere. As I said, it was kind of sad to read about all the ways that he tried, you know, to
0: come up with to get inside the house and he just couldn't do any of them. Right. Marion at this point runs to the neighbors to phone the fire department. Keep in mind this is nineteen forty five, like they can't use the phone in their house. Nobody has a cell phone. You've got to go to a neighbor's. So the neighbor's phone doesn't have a signal and the call doesn't go through. So another neighbor attempts to call for help, but also couldn't get through. So the neighbor drove down in town to find the fire chief himself. This is small town now. I mean, it's 2,800 people now. So imagine what it was. The solder children were probably like 20% of the entire population of the town. There's just not very many people. Fire Chief F.J. Morris initiated the city's fire alarm, which was basically just a phone tree system where one firefighter calls another and then another and another until you have enough people to put out a fire. That
1: just... Terrifying.
0: (laughs) I mean, but no wonder he was like fighting to get through, you know, like he was doing everything he could because they're not coming anytime soon. You know, there's yeah. just, you know, you're kind of on your own. They don't even have a siren or an alarm system. Um, and Mandy's note says, we've come a long way. Yeah. <laughs> we, really, <laughs> we really, really have. Even though the fire department was only two miles away, the firefighters did not arrive until 8 a.m. And remember, this fire started at 1 a.m. So you're just standing outside of this fire watching, you know, this poor family watching the whole thing I don't. I can't even talk about what's in there, but we all know what's in there. But you're just watching it, and there's nothing you can do. So the entire home was is a pile of smoldering ash by the time they get there seven hours later. Uh, But the fire actually burned completely in less than an hour. So quick moving fire, obviously. But I just I can't imagine just waiting. Like, and when the fire department gets there, you're like, oh, good. (laughs) Thank thanks for showing up. I mean, it's not their fault. It's it's a long time ago, but. And then I read something that was like, um, tell me if I'm wrong, but one of the people that uh, got the call couldn't even Go because he couldn't drive the fire truck. So he had to wait until the fire chief. It was the fire chief. The fire fire truck. (laughs) Hold on. We are just throwing out the word chief to the wrong people. If you cannot run the truck of the thing of which you are the chief of, you need to have that title (laughs) stripped from you. You need to be a volunteer fire fireman. I can't drive one. That that's the level we're at here. That that's insane. Oh my yeah, gosh. It is.
1: It really is. I know I thought the whole thing with them being just like so close, you know, two miles away and taking that long to get there and and the fact that like, you know, the neighbor had to go into town and like actually alert the fire, you know, the fire chief and be like, Hey, there's a fire over here, so we need to get, you know, get your phone tree started. Like it yeah. just it just it makes me very thankful that I live in 2018 where I can just pick up the phone and instantly get fire, police, or whoever I need uh, at the time. So for before sure. we talk about what happened um, after this fire, we are going to take a quick break for a word from this week's sponsors.
0: This week, we want to talk to you about RX Bar. RX Bar prides itself on building things the right way, and they believe in the power of transparency. They do this by listing the core ingredients right on the front of the package. You'll likely recognize RX bar on the shelf. They're the ones who have egg whites for protein, dates to bind, nuts for texture, and other delicious ingredients like unsweetened chocolate, real fruit and spices like cinnamon or sea salt. Sea salt may in fact be my love language. The adult bars come in 14 delicious flavors such as peanut butter, peanut butter chocolate, chocolate sea salt, blueberry, mixed berry, and coconut chocolate. RX bars aren't just for the
1: moms, though. Did you know RX bar also has a kids line? With RX bar's kids line, parents can expect the same high quality, clean label nutrition for their kids as they eat themselves. It's hard enough to keep the kids eating well balanced meals, let alone those times when you're in the car and needing a snack to get them through to the next meal. RX bars for kids have the same whole food ingredients as RX bar, just smaller and kid friendly flavors. The texture is also softer, and the nuts are chopped up into smaller pieces, making it perfect for your little ones.
0: Best of all, the Kid Bars come in six flavors like Chocolate Chip, PB&J, Double Chocolate Chip, and Peanut Butter Chocolate. My kids were dying over their favorite, Double Chocolate Chip Bars. The best part is both the adult and Kid Bars are gluten-free, soy-free, and dairy-free. They also have no artificial colors, artificial flavors, preservatives, or fillers. I'm currently in New
1: York on vacation visiting family, and I grabbed a mixed berry RX bar to bring on my flight with me. It was the perfect combination of fruity and nutty with hints of cranberry and almond. It was delicious, and it was the perfect on-the-go, oh-my-gosh-we-have-to-make-it-to-the-airport-alive snack. It's also great for pre- and post-workouts,
0: breakfast, or snacks on-the-go. RX Bar is offering you an exclusive pack of six adult bars and four kids' bars so the whole family is able to enjoy. For 25% off your first order, visit rxbar.com moms and enter code moms at checkout. Again, for 25% off your first order, visit rxbar.com moms and enter promo code moms at checkout.
1: When's the last time you were in the mall? I know it's been a long time for me because it's just such a hassle. You have to drive and go inside, and then there's all the noise and the lights and the people. Uh, so maybe I'm being a little dramatic about it, but it wouldn't it be great to shop for brand name clothing all without encountering the dreaded M word, the mall? That's where Poshmark comes in. Instead of buying things new, with Poshmark, you can shop from millions of closets across America.
0: So in the last week since I've downloaded the Poshmark app, I've been very busy. I've started following several closets and just purchased an adorable pair of gently used pink Converse tennis shoes for just $25. I've been on the lookout for these Converse shoes for forever, but I didn't want to buy them in stores because it would cost me 65 bucks. As soon as I placed my order, I received an email from Poshmark saying that the seller had been sent a prepaid pre-addressed shipping label, so I know my stuff will be on the way quickly. I love that with Poshmark, I can search for clothes or shoes for myself or my husband or kids, all while having the office running in the background. It's a perfect situation. What's better than searching for Michael Kors bags while listening to the musings of Michael Scott?
1: You can download the free Poshmark app and find clothes for women, kids, and men. Poshmark is the easiest way to both buy and sell fashion items. Plus, they make shipping super easy for both the buyer and the seller. Listeners of Moms and Murder get $5 off your first purchase. Just enter the invite code MURDER5 when you sign up. That's
0: invite code MURDER5. So we also want to tell you about our friends with Green Chef. I am not being dramatic when I say Green Chef was a real lifesaver for me this week. After eating straight junk for two weeks while moving into our home, my family was more than happy to eat a delicious home-cooked meal, even one made by me.
1: Green Chef is a USDA-certified organic company whose meal plans include paleo, vegan, vegetarian, keto, gluten-free, omnivore, and carnivore, which means there is literally something for everyone in your life. Green Chef thinks dinner should be planned around your life, not the other way around. Gone are the days of what's for dinner, because with Green Chef, everything is handpicked
0: and delivered right to the door, which means Green Chef is basically your own personal dinner hero. So I have the taste buds of a three-year-old, so when I see a vegetable, I am immediately looking for the sauces or dressings to add to it. Green Chef recipes include pre-made sauces, dressings, and spices, so you get more flavor in less time. We know that several of our listeners have dietary restrictions, and that's what makes Green Chef such a great fit for anyone. Green Chef makes it easy to maintain a specialty diet and enjoy exciting new options. Now, this week, I ordered the keto box while Mandy ordered the paleo box. All of my meals were absolutely phenomenal, but I especially love the Cajun shrimp with bacon, which actually included collard greens and In my adult life, I have never willingly eaten something with collard greens, but in this recipe, they were so delicious, which is actually a sentence I never thought I would say.
1: For $50 off your first box of Green Chef, go to greenchef.us slash moms. Again, for $50 off your first box of Green Chef, go to greenchef.us slash moms. And now back to the show. So we've got um, the family, the Sauter family is standing outside, as we said, watching their house burn to the ground. And like we talked about before we took our break, it was um, seven hours before the fire department actually got there. So after they arrived, it was kind of assumed that the five missing children were dead in the fire. And um, of course, this would be absolutely devastating news for the family to hear. That's half of your children, you know, that's I can't even imagine like what the poor parents were thinking at that point. So but something really interesting that happened was that there was actually no bones or bodies or remains of any kind found in the initial um, search of the property. So there was absolutely nothing. When I say there was no bones, no remains, no anything, I mean there was literally nothing. There was no evidence whatsoever that anyone had been killed in the fire. And the police chief had actually said that it was because the fire had burned so hot that it completely incinerated the um, children's bodies, leaving nothing at all behind, but um, but this is kind of a source of debate in this case because there are many people even still to this day who believe that is not possible for um, a fire that only burned for 45 minutes to completely cremate a human body, especially and, – and five of them and leave absolutely nothing behind. Of course,
0: there's people who think, well, sure, that could happen. But um, – Hey, my question is this. You said the fire burned 45 minutes they're saying that the fire, like we kind of talked about this before, it burned and then it stopped and they're just waiting for the fire department to get there. Is that kind of how it was? Right. Okay, so it yes. just wasn't an active fire anymore at all. It had died off after just an hour. Right. Okay. Yeah, they, it had burned up everything that it could. I'm just trying to create a picture in my own brain.
1: Yeah. <laughs> so a lot of people, as I said, um, don't believe that the bodies could have been completely cremated, that there would have been something left behind. Um, I personally would agree with that um I'm not a scientist but (laughs) I would I would agree that there should be something there should be some evidence if that's really what happened so Jenny Sauter even learned um, that it takes two hours to cremate a human body so theoretically there should have been five skeletons left behind if the children had in fact been in the house but despite all of this um five death certificates were issued even though they couldn't prove that the children were actually dead um The whole thing, I just can't even imagine. You know, you're already dealing with so much after you've lost your home and you don't know where your five children are and – And then especially to have all this added, you know, you're trying to cling on to hope like they didn't find any, you know, remains or anything. So you're thinking maybe there's, you know, a chance that they got out of the house or that they're just somewhere else and we are going to find them. Faulty wiring was deemed to be the cause of the fire, but George Sauter didn't really think that added up because he noticed that when they were escaping the house, um, the lights were actually on. So like while the fire was burning and they would have been off if something was wrong with the wiring or if there was a short, then there would have been no power in the house.
0: Um, but why would the lights have been on if his wife went around and turned off all the lights that night yeah I don't know I'm just playing devil's advocate here I really don't know. (laughs) I
1: really have no idea. So George had also recently had the entire house rewired and a new electric stove was installed. And so as part of the process of getting this new electric stove installed, they had um, it inspected and the electric company said that the wiring and electric in the house were safe. So George was not buying the story that there was uh, faulty wiring in the home just because he had recently had it checked out and cleared and everything was supposed to be just fine. Um, I mean, I understand saying that, but I feel like that that kind of thing happens to me all the time where someone tells me something is fine and then it's not fine and then something happens. Every time I get something
0: (laughs) fixed on my car, something breaks immediately the next day. I'm like, hang on. This was fine yesterday. So strange evidence starts coming to light. A bus driver that had been in the area that night said he saw fireballs being thrown onto the roof roof at the house that night. And we talked, or Mandy talked a little bit earlier about the mom hearing something hitting the roof and hearing a rolling sound, which- on Christmas Eve, do you think it might be Santa? I don't know. maybe you really just want yeah. to believe I don't know <laughs> so a woman who knew or had seen the Sauter family several times claimed to have seen the five children in a car while the fire was still burning. okay, so that would be one o'clock in the morning. I'm supposed to trust that somebody saw five children in a car that like if it is the car moving you can't tell anybody in a car. I don't buy any yeah. I I yeah, sorry I have I too know, many opinions. I know. I should keep them to myself. So there was a waitress (laughs) at a diner 50 miles away and claimed she served the five children breakfast later on Christmas morning, but didn't know how many adults were with them. Okay, somebody's taken the children and they bring them to a diner out in public. Got it. The police and fire chief told George Sauter to leave the site alone and they would be back to do a more thorough investigation after Christmas. But George didn't listen. Before the police could come back and look around more, he filled the remaining basement in with dirt and the family planted flowers as a memorial to the five children they lost. That's what I don't get. Like, if they're going to come and do an investigation and they can't find your children and you want to hear the whole thing, why do you fill it in? Why do you touch yeah. anything? I understand, yeah, like, the I didn't grieving and that. all of that. But, like, that part is kind of like, well, you got to follow the process and, like, give it a day. I mean, they've got to yeah. do a whole phone tree thing to get anybody here, but eventually somebody will be here. So the family tried to move on with their lives, but they could never stop thinking and questioning whether or not their children were dead or if they've been kidnapped or ran away and were still out there, which if you have that kind of loss in, your, loss in your life, I can totally understand how you would just want, without definitive proof, you would want to believe any anything else. I really do get that. Yeah, it is very sad. Are you ready to revolutionize the way you enjoy food and essentials at home? Introducing DashPass from DoorDash, your ultimate ticket to convenience and savings. With DashPass, you gain exclusive access to unlimited $0 delivery fees on eligible orders, along with members-only deals and discounts that will leave your wallet smiling. Whether you're craving the flavors of your favorite restaurants, need groceries from across town, or anything in between, DashPass ensures that everything you need is just a few clicks away, delivered right to your door. With DashPass, not only do you enjoy $0 delivery fees, but you'll also benefit from lower service fees on eligible orders, making it the most affordable, way to satisfy your cravings and stock up on essentials from your local favorites. What I really love is how quickly DashPass pays for itself. On average, it takes just two orders, which makes it a no-brainer investment for your budget. And as if that weren't enough, DashPass grants you special access to exclusive promotions and menu items, adding an extra layer of excitement to your DoorDash experience.
1: Sign up for DashPass today, only on DoorDash, and get your first 30 days free if you're a new member. Subject to change, terms apply. So in the aftermath, George and Jenny were clinging to hope that their children were still alive, as Melissa just said. Um, Jenny did these experiments where she would take chicken bones, beef joints, and pork chop bones and burn them at high temperatures um, for 45 minutes to see if there would still be anything left. This is her way of kind of verifying, you know, if it's even possible that all of her children could have been, you know, completely, you know, incinerated in the fire. And so on each one of these experiments, the bones always remained intact. So she took that, of course, to mean that it wouldn't be possible that, you know, that could have happened to her children. There would still be evidence of it. So George had also heard about a similar house fire where the house had burned to the ground and there were skeletons left um, among the rubble. And, They had noticed in that after the fire had been, um, you know, completely finished and extinguished, (laughs) some appliances and pieces of the tin roof were found, um, you know, in solid pieces and they were, you could identify what they were. So they didn't understand how it would be possible for those items to survive, but the bones of their children, like, wouldn't have made it all the way through. So the couple believed that there was just absolutely no way um, that the children could have been in the house and could have been cremated in the fire. And they demanded to have the fire investigated further. But police had said uh, there was no crime committed here. And, of course, you know, it, it takes resources to look into things like this. And so they didn't, they weren't, they weren't going to do it. They, You know, they pretty much and said, And they filled like, it in. Yeah. 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 What can they really do at this point? So a telephone repair man that the family spoke to told them that the telephone lines had been deliberately cut that night and that that is why the neighbors were not able to get a phone call out to the fire department in the first place, which, again, is very interesting, a very interesting part of the story. Um, who, you know. It, it does make it seem a little strange, like on Christmas Eve, like who would deliberately cut the phone wires and unless there was something, you know, sinister going on and that they had planned it that way, yep. you know, so that the fire department wouldn't be able to make it. George would often go back to the site of the fire and dig through the dirt looking for any clues or evidence. And on one visit to the site, his youngest daughter, Sylvia found a hard rubber object in the yard and George recognized it as a napalm pineapple bomb, which was uh, commonly used in combat. And they kind of wondered if someone, you know, maybe with ties to the military or the government, like, had somebody thrown this um, bomb onto their roof to intentionally start the fire, you know, and commit arson, basically. Two years
0: later, George saw a newspaper photo of school children in New York and fully believed that one of them was his missing daughter named Betty. So he drives to Manhattan, but the children's parents refused to let him see her, which totally right. reasonable. I can follow along with this. Um, the solder parents at this point hire private detectives to help them search for their children. The solders learned through their PI that the fire chief, uh, Chief Morris, had allegedly discovered a human heart on the scene that morning, but he thought the hot solders would not be able to handle the news, so he put it in a box and buried it at the site. I don't understand that story at all. No. Like – if people are begging you for answers and you're like, oh, I found a piece of evidence that they did die here. Let's just put it in a box and bury it in the ground. I yeah, don't even that follow make sense. that. Yeah. But I'd also like to know how that PI found that out. Like, did Chief Morris say that or did he find yeah. a heart there? <laughs> like, there's two big, two big answers there. So they agreed to dig up the box and they took it straight to the coroner to inspect and confirm what was inside the coroner discovered that it was a beef liver in the box that had never been exposed to the fire. Um. So who did that? Yeah, I don't, I really have no, like why, and why would why? someone, yeah, why, I Just don't understand. Why. That's, we have big questions about why, yeah. So some people believe that Fire Chief Morris planted the liver there, hoping the Sodders would fall for the human heart story and move on with their lives and stop asking so many questions. That also doesn't make sense. I, none of I it don't makes get sense. that either. Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't know. Nothing makes sense in this yeah, story. Yeah. <laughs> I guess I should just like resign myself to being like, well, this doesn't make sense too. And that's just how the story goes. The PI also un- uncovered the identity of a man who had threatened George Sauter in the weeks leading up to the fire. So one man apparently told George at some point that his fuse boxes would cause a fire. Concerned citizen, who knows? How do you know this information, sir? So another man shows up selling the life insurance and when George refused to buy the man said your house is going to go up in smoke and your children are going to be destroyed you are going to pay Whoa. you are going to pay for the dirty remarks you have said about Mussolini which is kind of where the whole Mussolini thing comes in to play here like was he so outspoken that people just wouldn't buy life insurance and destroyed his family this is literally an know. episode of the office where they think that there's a mafia involved in buying life insurance policies so I, I can get behind this this theory. Yeah. <laughs> Shortly
1: before Christmas, some of the Solder sons had told the parents that they had seen a man parked in a car watching them and their siblings as they came home from school. So this is like in the days leading up to this fire they, um the older boys of the family were like, you know, mom and dad, there is a creepy guy sitting out there watching us as we get off the school bus or whatever the case was. But the parents kind of wrote that off as, you know, they didn't think in 1945, too, I imagine like that's I I, I pictured that being the days when like things just don't happen like that, you know, like. So, yeah, you you wouldn't really, you know, now if my kids said like, there's a creepy man watching us, we're going to take that very seriously. But I feel like back then it was like totally different. In August of 1949, the solder parents brought in a path, a pathologist named Oscar B Hunter to help with a new excavation of the burn site. They are still on a quest for answers years later. Um, They uncovered several pieces of vertebrae in the soil and they sent them to the Smithsonian for testing. It was determined that the bones belonged to just one person that was, was between 16 to 17 years of age, but would not have been older than 22. And I guess they know that because of sciency things. And yes, what? because of sciency <laughs> things. <laughs> yes. So the oldest missing solder child was just 14, and the vertebrae found showed no evidence that they had ever been exposed to fires. It's not really likely that those bones actually belong to any of the missing solder kids, and they thought that most likely it came from the dirt supply that George Sodder had used to fill the basement to create the garden memorial. But I still have
0: so many questions about that. So he got a dirt supply from the bones of other people? That's what I'm supposed to believe here? I guess, yeah. He got a dirt supply that had bones in it. I don't know how. But okay, this is what doesn't make sense to me. Okay, 16 to 17 and 14 are not that different.
1: That far off. Yeah, Yeah, I I get like...
0: I mean it could be just a simple thing with puberty, really, because that's when everything goes haywire in your body, like what if this person matured a little earlier or whatever that's that's not crazy. If they said a two year old and a 16 year old I'd be like, Wow, that is very interesting piece of information. This just seems like there's no I, I don't get it. I just don't get it. <laughs> Okay, so the
1: Smithsonian report also stated, um, and this is a quote, it is very strange that no other bones were found in the allegedly careful excavation of the basement of the house. One would expect to find the full skeletons of the five children rather than only four vertebrae. This is also taking into account how long the house is burned down and how long it takes to cremate a body. The Smithsonian is even saying there should be skeletons here if there was five children indeed in this house as it burned to the ground and there is nothing. It's one thing for the parents to kind of say that they did, you know, experiments in the kitchen and burned chicken bones. But I feel like if the Smithsonian says it, it must be true.
0: Okay. Calm down.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> it's bizarre to me that the Smithsonian got involved in this. Like whenever it was like I, do, I, I was like oh, the Smithsonian, <laughs> the same Smithsonian? Okay, great. So the governor told the family that their search was quote hopeless and he closed the case, which that's tough. The Sadders erected a billboard near the burn site. It had pictures of each of the missing kids and announced a $10,000 reward. They believed that the children had been abducted and that the fire was set on purpose to destroy evidence. So, evidence of what? Yeah. I guess of the kidnapping, right? Like, I guess so. Yeah. So, one thing that we didn't talk about, but I remember reading or hearing was, um, That they thought it was weird, the family thought it was weird that they didn't hear voices. Like, they were yelling inside, but they didn't hear the children, like, yelling back down to them, which is…
1: Right. And they didn't see them, like, at the window, like, trying, you know, trying to say,
0: like, here we are. But what if they're all in the same room and there's so much smoke and they all pass out? Like, that's not that crazy to me. You're not going to… Most people die of, like, smoke… Oh, gosh, I'm not going to say the word right. Inhalation, <laughs> yeah. but you know that's kind of where it is. So they could. It might not have been the fire that killed them. A lot of times, it is the smoke. So that just didn't seem that crazy to me. So in 1968, over tw- over 20 years after the fire, Jenny Sodder got an envelope addressed to her. It was from Kentucky, but it did not have a return address. It was a photo of a man in his early 20s with a note written on the back that said, "Louis Sodder, I love brother Frank, Frankie, little boys, a." <laughs> A90132 or 35. The man in the picture looked a whole lot like their son. I will say that. They I saw the picture in the comparison and I was like, "Whoa, that looks like their missing son." Um f- yeah. for sure. What is that? All that information. A90132 or 35? Yeah, I don't know what any of that means. And the parents didn't either. They couldn't figure out
1: what that was a message of or what the what that was supposed to mean.
0: Yeah, unfortunately. Yeah. So the soldiers again hire a PI to look into it, but he headed off to Kentucky and was never seen again. Oh, dear God. So I guess there's speculation that he took their money and ran. But other people say that wouldn't happen because a PI's job is to look into stuff. So it's unlikely he would just bail on them, except there. Which I get like if that's your job, you're a private eye like that's
1: literally is your job like I don't understand you can't keep your I don't know it just doesn't it doesn't seem that much and plus how much did they pay him it's not like he could like take whatever they gave him and like go off and retire so I don't know I do think it's kind of strange that he was never heard from again after he went to go look into this okay
0: fine that is a little bit weird I'll give you that one but you know what sound this is going to sound very terrible but these kind of things happen in these cases where they know like they're it's very public. There are billboards. There's all this. There are people that are just sick and will send things to, you know, like you remember the John Ramsay Ramsey case when the guy claimed to have yeah. killed the killed her. Yeah. Like, there's nothing to be gained from that. So to me, it's not that crazy that somebody did that.
1: Yeah. No, I agree. I was going to say that, too, that people are just, they Terrible. Just are strange. And yeah, and they just want attention or they want to, like, mess with the family for whatever reason. Yeah. I don't know why. Enough. But but I do think it is weird. Um, so the Sodders took the photo as truth that their son was still alive and they even used the photo that was sent to them to update the image on the billboard, which that might've been taking it a little far because you don't know for sure, you know, yeah. if that's him. A little bit... I mean but they're, de- you they're know, desperate you know it's desperation for sure. yeah and just hoping you know hoping for anything so george said in an interview um quote time is running out for us we only want to know if they did die in the fire we want to be convinced otherwise we want to know what happened to them which honestly i don't th- I think is unreasonable no. you know if they want to have proof either way, you know, one way or the other. So George actually died a year later in 1969, never finding the answers that he was seeking for his entire life, which is just very, very sad and heartbreaking. Yeah. And Jenny, um, after the fire, Jenny wore only black um for the rest of her life and continued all the way until the day she died in 1989. And after she died, um, the billboard with the children and the reward and all that, they finally took that down. Um, the surviving solder siblings and their children have continued to investigate and a few new theories were born. Um, some of the theories are that the local mafia had tried to recruit George and he said no. So this was their like retaliation um, or that they had tried to extort money from him. Um, there was a theory that the kids were kidnapped actually by someone that they knew and then of course the fire was set um, and then there was this theory that the kids were abducted by the Sicilian Mafia and then they had set the fire and I don't really know what would be the purpose of that although I did I talked to this case over briefly with my uncle the other night and he was saying um, that the Italian Mafia would like kidnap these kids like abduct them and put them into like you know human trafficking kind of stuff and And that maybe they, you know, they took those five because those were the ones that were awake and were downstairs and they, you know, it was easy access. And so maybe that could be like a a possible theory of what happened. Um, So what do you think, Melissa? Do you think they died in the fire? I mean,
0: I feel terrible for the whole family and all of that would be so horrific to watch happen. And I think they died in the fire. I just don't, I don't, I don't subscribe to a whole lot of conspiracy theories. I feel like these are just very hurt like a hurt family that wanted any other thing to have happened so i can understand where they came from to want more answers but i think unfortunately they probably died in the fire
1: yeah i mean
0: i can see how you would feel What do you that think way? Mandy cuz clearly you think something different
1: <laughs> i don't think they died in the fire i don't know though i do kind of think they were abducted i do think there would be remains left if they had died in the fire and in- Even if the house had, like, burned down completely, I do think there would still be some evidence. And I can understand if it was, like, one body of a child. Like, maybe you wouldn't find anything. But five? Yeah. And you found nothing? Like, no proof of it? Like, that's just... I don't no. know. It is strange. It, it feels We're weird. We're also
0: dealing with a town in which the fire chief cannot drive the fire truck, and there is a phone tree to get the fire department. So do I think it was investigated that great? No. Do I think it was probably not a good idea to fill everything in and thus destroying evidence? Yeah, that was probably a bad idea. So I feel like if it happened today and they and they never found anything, I'd be like, yeah, there's something weird that probably happened. But um. 1945. I mean, people died of like colds in 1945. So I just don't think it's that bizarre. Yeah, (laughs) that's true.
1: That is the story of the Sodder children. This is um, about as spooky and Halloweeny as Melissa will ever let me ever. get. Just so thank you for humoring me on that. And I hope you guys enjoyed that story. It is a very fascinating story. There's a ton of information about it on the on the internet, the good old internet. And if you go on Reddit, oh, there gosh. are tons of theories. And Melissa loves Reddit. She loves it when I mention Reddit. <laughs> so um, so if you want to look more into it or read some really crazy theories and like reasons why people think certain things, um, you can definitely go to Reddit
0: and check that out. It will be very easy to find. Yeah, I'm sure it will, except for Reddit gives me a headache. <laughs> Whenever I've gone over there, I'm like, what is happening? There's just, it looks like the beginning of the internet and just everything is so confusing on there. I don't get it. Um, so uh, real quick, patreon.com slash moms murder. We will have um, Eileen, we are recording it Monday, which means I have to record, edit it and you have it up by Tuesday, but we will have it done for you, which actually, no, when you hear this, it'll be there. Congratulations. Your Patreon bonus. Yes. bonus episode is up. Yeah. And so now we have a couple uh, last things before we go. Um, the first one is very Halloween inspired. Mandy, what is your favorite Halloween candy? And somebody in our Facebook group wrote it. And because it's labeled Halloween candy, I can't find the name of who wrote it. So just know in my heart, you're my hero. And um, I just can't find who asked this question. Your name? Yeah. Yeah. But you're lovely. <laughs> I know you're a wonderful person and we love you. Okay.
1: Okay, so let me first start by saying that I think modern Halloween candy is awful and I don't like that it's mostly chocolate now. Like, have you noticed that when you go to get like a bag of Halloween candy, you can get like an assorted bag of chocolate or you can get like the cheap one that has like Tootsie Rolls and stuff in it. You know what I'm saying? There's not a lot of options anymore. Like it used to be. I remember when I was a kid, there was so many different things that I loved and you just don't get them anymore. Um, So my all time favorite Halloween candy are the strawberry candies that come in the strawberry the the wrapper. Like it looks like a, yeah. Yeah. And they're like hard on the outside and kind of chewy on the inside. Oh my gosh. I love strawberry candies. Those are one of my favorites. Um,
0: those just Halloween remind me of candy. old people candy. I love them, but they're well, old people.
1: Candy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I love strawberry candies. So I love those. And then when I was a kid, my favorite Halloween candy used to be bottle caps. But you don't really get bottle caps anymore. Like those are another thing you can't find anymore. Because they're crap. Nobody likes them. They
0: like. Why are you making faces? It's (laughs) like eating a BC powder that's been flavored (laughs) with with, like grape medicine. It's terrible.
1: (laughs) I love them, but you definitely don't find them anymore. Oh, that's true. Yeah. um, So, but now I don't really have any like modern Halloween candy favorites. Like, no, I don't really. I do like like the now and later's, and I do like sour stuff, but. for the most part, I think Halloween candy of the present day is just
0: not that oh, great. Yeah, that's I didn't even think about that. It's all just very like regular candy you can get year round. Yeah. Um, my mom used to be a real cheapo and she would buy those orange and black ones that are like wax kind of things that have oh, yeah. like a little bit of flavor in there. Like you'd break a tooth off to be able to get something, but they were always really cheap. So those were always at our house. Nobody ate them. They're terrible. I don't think I have a favorite Halloween candy because, yeah, I, I'm trying to think of what even constitutes a ca- Halloween candy. I will always eat Sour Patch Kids and, um, yeah, that's about it. I, I don't – I'm not very exciting. I don't know a Halloween candy and it's not bottle yeah. caps, but I do love the strawberry things. Those are really good. I um, Yeah. Yeah. But, again, I feel like I'm 100 when I eat them. Um, okay, Mandy, here's one that I, I pre-approved with Mandy because um, <laughs> for a reason. So Becky A. in our Facebook group asked, do you believe in aliens? So when Mandy and I were on a trip back from Atlanta after a billion hours in the car, we – I don't know. I just started asking her questions about different crazy uh, theories and stuff. And it was the most eye-opening conversation I've ever had with her. <laughs> And I will never recover. I'm crying right now. Mandy, um, <laughs> Mandy, um, do you believe in aliens? And w- I do not. Okay. I don't believe in aliens. Okay, then I have a, qu- a follow-up question for you. <laughs> Mandy, what do you think UFOs could possibly be? <laughs> So I
1: so I, I really this. enjoy the theory that UFOs could be people <laughs> oh from the future. God. I can't wait for you to hear this later. <laughs> traveling back in time. Oh my gosh. Okay. So I'm not saying that I think that's what it is because personally, I also don't really believe in UFOs in general because I mean, well, I've never seen one, but, and I do think it's strange that like everybody who ever sees one, you know how they have like Area 51 way over there out in the Midwest and like, but why do the UFOs only go there? Like, I don't understand. Like That doesn't really make any sense to me. Like, I don't understand why that would be, like, the landing point for them. So I don't know if I buy into all that in the first place. But I do enjoy conspiracy theories, as we have talked about many times on our show. And um, I'm just kind of the conspiracy girl. That doesn't mean that I believe <laughs> this them is a 10-minute all. monologue. <laughs> it doesn't mean I believe them. But no, I do
0: think it's a fun theory that UFOs could be – time travelers from the future coming back to check things out. So when we asked our mutual friend TJ with Pines and Puzzles, like, hey, TJ, because he believes all this stuff or some of this stuff, what are UFOs? Like Mandy just sent him a message and said, what are UFOs? And he thinks, or he said one theory is that Jesus is in the UFO (laughs) and comes back to help us do things the right way. And I almost died. (laughs) Yeah, TJ. I don't know. I can't. I can't. I was like, I mean, like, I've never heard this theory that there are future people that come back, and then to hear that, like, more than just Mandy thinks it is just (laughs) insane. But my favorite part of the whole, like, uh, driving and stuff, was Mandy like telling me about MK Ultra and all of those people, but also being like, anytime I question it, she'd be like, "Well, yeah." Like, I would be like, "Well, what about Beyonce?" She's like, "Uh, "MK Ultra." So it was just my favorite thing in the entire world. Oh, and then I asked her about Bigfoot, and she's like, no. I'm like, okay, Bigfoot is too far, but future alien Jesus is okay. We can, we can think about it. I'm just kidding. I know you don't believe that. But um, yeah, so anyway, thank you for – oh, my gosh. I, I did a spooky episode, so thank you for letting me talk about your theories. That was so fun for me. <laughs> and for the record, I don't believe in any of it, so it's fun. Yeah. No, I don't believe in aliens. I oh. I- I can't. That's that conflicts too far. With my other beliefs, <laughs> so aliens, aliens are, are a step thing. too far. But yeah, <laughs> well, that was a different episode. I enjoyed doing that. We'll have to do something like that again sometime. Yeah, but not. Um, yeah, but no wives or husbands died, and nobody hired anybody to kill anybody. So there's that. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So we will be back next week with you guys with another lovely episode. Thanks for hanging in there, and Mandy will be back soon with us in Florida, where she belongs.
1: Yes, I can't wait. Well, I mean,
0: I'm having a great time, time. but
1: I can't wait to get back to warmer weather.
0: All right, have a great week, guys. Bye. Thanks so much for listening to the Moms and Murder podcast. Make sure to check back with us next week for a new episode. You can also find us at momsandmurder.com where you can connect with us via social media. Please make sure you subscribe and give us five stars because giving us four stars would be a crime. Thanks so much.